Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. That's the trouble with regeneration. You never quite know what you're going to get. Shed and got chopped up. It's a little bit like an Agatha Christie tale before we started. Oh. Hi, Ian. We're um, <clears throat> we're quickly running out of cult members. You see, the trouble with it, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're talking about chopping up members. I was a little worried there until you meant cult members. Anyway, oh. that's all. Sure. <laughs> chopping up, chopping audio. Chopping audio. Have left. Chopping audio. That's a choppy audio. <laughs> all right. Joining us, hopefully on audio, it's Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, sir. And Logan, sir, how are you? Ta-da, he's here. I'm, I'm yeah, glad to hear yeah, your yeah. voice. <laughs> Was there a doubt? <laughs> All right. Also, joining us on audio, Hellhound at his side, Rick Wall is here. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Glad you can make it. Yeah, we're well, glad because it, uh, one, we lost. If we lost one more, it'd be four to doomsday. Oh, Well, you see, you know, we all know that Dave makes two mistakes a show. The joke was the first one. <laughs> well, better than better than watching you. You do that snake dance to keep us all entertained before we started. Directive. <laughs> Quit looking at my Jovanka. Anyway, <laughs> lastly, but not leastly on audio, it's Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. Hello, sir. Yeah, I was just on a time flight there, so I'm glad to be here now. Yes, our man of enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Ian. Hello, Dave. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> And uh, hanging in below sea level, kind of like a strange arc. <laughs> it's Car Blanche yeah. and Cybob. Hey, you missed Under a trick there. You should have said Tinder. Oh, here it is. 
Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? Like this what? show, it's never worked right in the first place. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, but you, should, you shouldn't have said kinder under the phone. You should have said kinder under the phone. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. He, he's awakening to my idea. It's all right. <laughs> Tractators. Tractators. <laughs> Tractators, precious teachers. Uh, anyway. You, did, you didn't introduce Mordred Undead either. <laughs> oh dear oh dear well, one more person to introduce and that's the typing monkey <laughs> it's new time go typing go, Merlin, typing go. Monkey, go. <laughs> uh, I expected the king of demons to say that one <laughs> go typing monkey go there you go. Hello, Hello. Go on. <laughs> the whole thing's caving in like Aaron Dursani. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let me get on with the news. <laughs> yes, we do have some news. Uh, of course, all the news seems to happen right after this show happens, so stay tuned because <laughs> you know, there'll be some major news coming up probably in a bit, you know, half hour. All right. Um, found out on Monday uh, that it was announced, of course, that uh, Big Finish's license has been renewed uh, to cover 2016. Uh, Big Finish announced that the, their license to make Doctor Who Audio Adventures has been extended to December 2016. Executive producer Jason Hayallery said uh, it's an absolute privilege to be entrusted with making audio adventures for Doctor Who for at uh, least another three years. And it's wonderful that we will be able to continue our excellent working relationship with our friends and colleagues at Audio Go and Cardiff. Uh, fellow executive producer Nick Briggs observed, uh, this year will mark my seventh anniversary as executive producer at Big Finish. Uh, for me, it's uh, a clear indication of how much fun I've been having with the work and uh, the people I'm privileged to work with. Uh, then I'm looking forward to the possibilities opening up with this latest extension of our license. Um, and by that time, I'll have been in the role for 10 years. Bring it on, I say. Uh, we have a great relationship with AudioGo, and there will be exciting developments ahead. So, yes, uh, for, for more information, uh, you can check out, of course, DoctorWhoNews.net, which is where we get most of our news from. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, can, I, can I just add something on that big finish? Because I've just been watching uh, classic uh, DVD, The uh, Visitation, uh, and one of the special features on that is um, Doctor Forever, uh, the apocalypse element examining the world of Doctor Who and audio. And uh, they've got quite a few people from uh, uh, the big Finnish people there uh, telling the story of how they got started, how they tried to get the Doctor Who franchise, uh, you know, how they went ahead with the Bernie Summerfield uh, stories, and then uh, how uh, they tried to approach... Uh, you know, uh, Tom Baker, and eventually Tom Baker came on after doing um, uh, some of the um, the books. Re you know, when they were um, making audio books of the original uh, transcripts, 
and then he obviously came on to do the Leisure Hive. But a great documentary on the two, the special edition two-disc set of Doctor Who, The Visitation. Of course, Peter Davidson's story. Excellent. Yes, because Dave just got that for Father's Day. Ta-da. Well, actually, I didn't. Uh, I get, well, I, I did get. Oh well. well I'm trying to pad this out. Well, no, no. What happens is I bought. <laughs> I actually bought. Resurre- yeah, 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 yeah. We're struggling here, folks. I, I actually bought Resurrection of the Daleks uh, the day before Father's Day, or just on a whim, because three Doctor Who DVDs have come out, classic ones here in the UK. Got home next morning, woke up, and there on the uh, in the hallway was um, uh, a, bo- a present from the son. And I opened up, and it was the same DVD I'd bought the day before. <laughs> so I had to quickly rush back with me the one I hadn't yet opened, and I swapped that for the visitation. So very nicely, I've got two. Resurrection of the Daleks, um, and not Resurrection of the Daleks, um, Mind of Evil, sorry. No, I, I said so Resurrection right. of the Daleks because I've just... that drunk on Friday? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got, the reason why I've got Resurrection of the Daleks here with me is because it's... Um, one of the DVDs I brought in here to have a quick look at prior to today's recording. Yes, we do do. <laughs> we do do we prep do. for these shows. Yeah, do do. We do do do. It's a lot of do do today. <laughs> oh, do 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 do. Ah, the planet's burning. <laughs> That's got too many tracks, isn't it? Yeah. Track, track, tractated, tractated, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on with the news. Uh, On uh, Thursday, uh, the guests were announced uh, for BFI's uh, Two Doctors screening. Uh, Actress Fraser Hines and uh, Tony Selby, uh, plus script editor and writer Eric Sayward and visual effects uh, designer uh, Mike Kelt will be special guests at the BFI screening of The Two Doctors. Uh, the event takes place on Saturday, the 15th of June. Uh, which is just gone. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, they were there. It was good, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving right Never along. read ahead. Never read ahead. It spoils the atmosphere of the show. And, of course, BlogTuneNews.net uh, is continuing with their um, unearthly, an unearthly series um, uh, looking back at the uh, um, Doctor Who, of course, in the 50th anniversary, and looking back at the uh, uh, origins of the show in the uh, first years. So. All right, uh, let's see. Last, but certainly not mean, by no means least, a big finish have released details on their latest adventures for the Doctor and his companions in June. Uh, Prisoners of Fate, starring Peter Davison as the Doctor, Janet Fielding, Mark Strickson, and Sarah Sutton. Uh, Council of War, uh, starring John Levine as Benton, and Sinead Keenan, um, who's of course been in Doctor Who and of course um, being human, um, as uh, Marjorie Phipps. And The Dalek Contract, starring Tom Baker, Doctor, and Mary Tam as Romana, and John Leeson as K9. So there you go. Right, and of course they've also got a competition which is listed on, on the article on doctornews.net. Uh, this month's competition, thanks to Big Finish, uh, is to win one of five copies of Council of War uh, to be in with a chance. 
they've got a, a little bit of a quiz question there. So um, check out DoctorWhoNews.net. Uh, it's the top story at the moment. So yeah, there you go. You've got a chance to win a Big Finish audio. All right, Dave, anything? Well, nothing. Hello. Huh. Good. No, Dave. No, I've, Dave? Got, I've got no news. No, no news to add. I'm sorry. No news to add. No. Um, I can mention Ark of Infinity, and I can mention Frontiers. Uh, I can mention Planet of Fire, and then I'm about basically done. I think this show is reaching a terminus. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that man an Right, come on, time is flying. Oh. <laughs> I already um, used that one, Dave. You... And there's only two of the five doctors uh, in the room. Of course, um, one, one of the things that we were discussing today and uh, also on Friday, of course, is the continuing rumors of, of, of missing episodes. Um, we've been discussing them on the Cultum Facebook page, uh, but really at the moment, everything is just conjecture and rumor and I mean everybody is of course hopeful that we do have that something comes out of this um, everybody wants to believe that that you know that some of these episodes will, will surface especially um, in the 50th year you know and uh, but at the moment we don't know anything new um, there's just people saying that they've got reliable sources but you know everybody's always got reliable sources uh, so we can just keep our fingers crossed and uh, see what develops. Um, yeah, it was a bleedingcool.com site that uh, right. that that some people say that they, they they got the rumor going. Other people say it's a rumor from six months a year ago that's been doing the rounds, and every right. now and again gets aired. But um, and I think Jeff was one of the ones that was uh, probably more skeptical, uh, and I think Mike was as well because it wasn't some talk, Jeff, that. Uh, one of the, the the ones that might be found is an episode that they just spent quite a bit of money. A story just spent money on uh, on you know doing animated scenes for. Right. The implication yeah. being, of course, if the BBC knew they already had the hands on the original, would they have um, you know gone yeah, to the expense? They, right. Uh, of course, what we're talking about is the last episode of uh, the Tenth Planet, and they just reanimated that for uh, DVD release. And, um, yeah, why would they go to the expense of reanimating that episode if they had the actual f- real footage? And, of course, then there's been, you know, people bantering about that, that idea of, like, okay, well, what does that mean then? Um, you know, did they start animating it? Then they found out about it, and they figured that, you know, they've already poured the money in. Hey, if you've already paid for it, you might as well get it animated. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to tell. And, of course, there's nothing on... Um, on that box set, suggesting that that uh, the actual episode is going to be on there. Right, and I think uh, I think other people have said that um, although people have been you know throwing around these numbers of forty to sixty, uh, you know, programs being found, that might well be that there are that many programs of BBC uh, material. But that doesn't mean that that's all Doctor Who. It may, you know, be Dixon and Doc Green or, you know, anything from the era that um, these things were going out. And certainly, some better informed people than perhaps ourselves 
was saying that some of the episodes that people were hoping that would be in never even got sent out to uh, some of these countries. So um, I suppose if anything turns up, we'll be grateful. Oh, yeah, they they moved around, don't they? Because Paul, what was that site that Paul Schoons um, had where he, he had the listings of all the different countries of where shows had aired? I mean... Uh, um, um, I think you're thinking of John Priddle's um, uh, broadcast who... Um, oh, of course I am, yeah. Broadcast who Sorry, did John. a good job of, 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 of showing exactly where things were, you know, where things were sold shown, etc. But that's not to say that it's not in the hands of a private collector who's just, you know, got this whole case full of, you know, stuff that's just No. I mean I think if if we get right, now that was... an episode or, or you know, a story out of this, it'd be great, you know. Um, I don't think anyone's really kinda of holding their breath. But uh Now that broadcast was broadcast with the the lettery in the middle, wasn't it? Just if people want to search that side out. Yes. When you see John Preddle, yeah, it, it, it was broad W cast. Found. Right. Uh, let me uh, put it in the text. That it's uh, born in. B r o a d w c a s t dot org. Right. Unofficial and unauthorized guide to the continuity of Doctor Who. It's kind of, kind of an interesting yeah, uh, website. Yeah, I like to go there because then when we do shows like this where um, we're looking at revisiting Doctor Who, I can actually look and see when it originally aired. Because when you're a kid and you watch these things, you don't you have no clue, no clue when it was. You know, <laughs> um, so I can actually look back and see when when these episodes first uh, first screened in, in New Zealand. You know, and that's like it's uh, broad broad with the W in dot org. And um, we did an interview with um, with John Preddle on that, and uh, we did that on the 23rd of May 2012, uh, between episodes 151 and 152. So if you look back on the Cult Collective RSS feed or on iTunes, look for Cultum interview John Preddle, uh, May. Look that out for one of our back episodes on our Twitter feed, uh, Cultum Twitter feed. Uh, every now and again, I do a Cultum back catalogue one because there are lots of people that have joined us over the course of the f- nearly four years we've now been going and haven't caught some of those uh, back episodes. So look out for that, and I'll probably use that as our next back catalogue in. Okay. Um, oh, and just uh, I was just having a look at uh, Paul Schoon's, um Facebook page because he did comment. Cause, I, mean, I guess with this new news coming out, um, everybody like tagged him in posts, wondering if he had any information. Uh, Paul um, uh, has been doing a lot of the info techs, um and was actually responsible uh, for um, finding, uh, re- re- you know, returning a, an episode of, uh, of Doctor Who and the Lion to the BBC. Um, Virtually hand carried it there, I think. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke. Um, anyway, uh, he had to say uh, various people have tagged me on this, uh, seemingly with the expectation that as a finder of a missing episode, I might know if this is true. Uh, what I do know, uh, what I do know uh, that if it was, uh, there'd be an, there would be an official announcement from the BBC, not vague rumours from unnamed sources. So, 
Yep. Oh, oh yes, and I also want to mention too <laughs> that um, for anybody in New Zealand listening, um, on Saturday, uh, June 29th, uh, Neil Cross, the New Zealand-based uh, British writer of uh, two episodes of Doctor Who, and of course, uh, creator writer of Luther, um, will be giving uh, a talk uh, at the Ellipse Theatre in uh, in the Wellington Town Hall uh, about his work as a screenwriter and author, including his work on Doctor Who. Uh, so now, if you're interested in that, uh, go to uh, Premiere dot That's T I C K E. E-E-K dot co dot news NZ I almost said New Zealand there ah. yeah dot co dot N yeah and a lot of cyborgs come in yeah. isn't, reli- isn't, isn't reliable sources the next act of charity for the 12th doctor <laughs> yes there you go <laughs> oh, I thought it was funny I thought it was funny yeah, cyborg yeah. Um, that seems to have uh, died down as well um, as we've actually lost uh, Rick Wall <laughs> they're just dropping like flies today um so, yes. It is for to uh, doomsday. Yeah, the, the, That's right. The, the, oh no! Yes. The news has 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 died down as of late, as far as um, casting information. So, yeah, um, it'll probably stay a little dormant uh, until we get closer to Christmas, or we get an actual announcement. But anyway, I think that should do it for news. <laughs> All right. So yep, if you indeed. want to be part of the collective, especially today, especially today, <laughs> here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a fifth client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. There you go. And, and I think I better remind some people, Ian, that we do, we do have people yeah. that listen. Can I do that for you? Here we go then. This is Anthony Burge, Jessica Burke, and Christine Larson of the Mythological Dimensions of Neil Gaiman. And you're listening to The Cultum Collective. In fact, there's somebody else as well. This is Anthony Burge, Jessica Burke, and Christine Larson of the Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who. And you're listening to The Cultum Collective. Yeah, everybody thought I made a mistake playing the same clip there. It wasn't, you see. It's a different book. We've got two books out. <laughs> and here's Ian's favorite friend. Hi, I'm Rachel Bloom, and you're listening to the Cult Dumb Collective podcast. And where's he gone? Hello, my name's Toby Haydock, and you're listening to the Cult Dumb Collective podcast. This is Lewis B. of the Happiness Patrol, and you're listening to the Cult Dumb Collective. Don't be there, it's not really a cult. <laughs> and it's official, we've got more people listening and we have on it today. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! All right, <laughs> get on with the show, Cooper. <laughs> uh, I've been out there. I think. I think. 
Darth may drop off first. I think I might have to go to Darth first. Well, let me uh, tell you, everybody, we're talking about the Doctors Revisited. Of course, uh, in the BBC America, they've been doing these once a month. We've been on a sort of a catch-up progress because, of course, we were taking precedent on the uh, current series, Series 7, that's uh, just ended recently. Uh, we will probably be doing something else next week, but in a th- two weeks' time, we will be up and uh, level with BBC America when we go to the Sixth Doctor. But uh, we're now talking about the Fifth Doctor, uh, as played by Peter Davidson. Uh, he was the Doctor from 1981 to 1984. He starred in 20 stories, 69 episodes, but of course he was in some uh, little shorts like Time and Space and so on since then. Um, his companions were Adric, Nyssa, Tegan, Thurlow. Oh, right. Uh, trivia quiz, trivia quiz. What was Thurlow's first name? This lore. Who's Thurlow? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Is he related oh, to Peter Davidson? <laughs> no, the companion. Oh. Could you pronounce his name one more time, Dave? Turlow, Thurlow, Thurlow? Turlow, Turlow. Turlow. First name? Thievol Fail. Well, if I said... <laughs> v- if Vice I said Jabang... Vizzler or... Jabang, or I think it is. V-I-S... Well, you pass it then, Darth, then. Weisler. Vizzler. Vizzler. I will put it in the text chat. Ian said it a long time ago, though, I think. (laughs) Vizzler. Yeah. He just ignores me, that's all. They're all acting as though I'm wrong, folks. And I'm not. Ian was wrong. (laughs) I might have pronounced it wrong. Fucker. (laughs) <laughs> no, you, you said a long time ago. Hey, what? What? You... Uh, yeah. Earth to Earth to Mark. <laughs> What's no, happening here? No, no. I'm losing. I'm losing the will to live here. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah. Most people know that Tegan's surname is Jovanka, but most people only know of Thurlow or Turlow as the one name. But he actually had two names. Adric's one name. This is one name. <laughs> Why are you Comedian. so certain about Turlow's name? I don't... It's Turlow. Turlow. <laughs> I've never heard anybody ever say Turlow. Oh. <laughs> Neither have I. What's Sorry, Dave. Oh, it's my pronunciation of his surname. I thought you were going... I thought the, the next flame was the fact that you didn't realise he had a first name. But it was my pronunciation, was it? Our pronunciation. That was getting you... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Come on, this is all good stuff. Um, this is used at least about... five minutes up. The interesting thing, of course, about uh, Tegan's name is, um, the, as far as I know from the Companions book, um, read a long time ago, is that uh, uh, when they were trying to come up with a name for Tegan, uh, or for the character, um, names were written down, and Tegan and Joe Banker were written down as names um, they weren't actually meant to be one name. It was either supposed to be supposedly right. Tegan or Javanka. And so um, I think it was uh, uh, John Lisson Turner who saw the names written very close together and 
took it as where it was going to be taken to anchor. So, okay. yeah. And in the in the chat room, Cy yeah, well, Bobby, yes, vastly enjoying this episode. <laughs> well, I think I think waking too, or um, dreaming, Cy Bob, waking or dreaming. Wonder. As I say, I, I think too that the legend goes on that uh, Ian that. Javank is actually supposed to be her first name, but Bidmead got it wrong. When he got instructions from uh, J&T, who I guess came up with the name, he, he mistook the Javanka to be her last name rather than her first, uh. which is what it's really supposed to be. But that was when the character was supposed to have actually been, of all things, Yugoslavian. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, uh, and uh, uh, well, it mentions um, chameleon. Whether we class him as a companion or not, and and it just got on to Perry Perry Brown, of course. So um, what I'm going to do is um, just read a little bit um, from from my. Um, Got to uh, a celebration two decades through time and space. I was going to go to Rick Wall first, but unfortunately he's dropped off. So I'd like to impose on Darth, please, to go first because he was Rick Wall and Darth were the last ones to go with Kobo last time. Just want to read this little bit from my book. Um, <clears throat> talking about um, when it was um, announced. Um, uh, John Nathan Turner was absolutely in no doubt that Peter was the right man for the role. He was my first choice uh, when making the announcement after Peter's agreement. I worked with him on all creatures great and small. He's a very talented and capable actor. He's everything I'm looking for in a new doctor. Um, and although Peter was already uh, had, had several enormous popular TV series behind him, he was quite unprepared for the fervor which greeted the news that he was the fifth doctor. He knew that there was always speculation and a bit of excitement surrounding the selection of a new actor to play the part of a character who had now become something of a popular legend, but what actually happened amazed him. The announcement was made on the evening of the 4th of November 1980 on the BBC 9 o'clock news, and Peter found himself staring at the headlines with the newly, sorry, sharing the headlines with the newly elected American president, Ronald Reagan. I was absolutely staggered to see it was announced on the news, he said, Stonewatch shaken. I had really no idea that Doctor Who was so important. Some of my friends thought I died when they saw my picture on the news. <laughs> so, um, and um, and of course, there's the the idea that um, uh, the way he wanted to play it. Um, is, let me put it. In, um, a, a reckless innocent might almost described Peter Davidson's own childhood, and that was the way that he intended to play the Doctor. For a start, I will be a much younger Doctor, and I'll be wearing a kind of Victorian creaking outfit to actuate, accentuate my youth. I would like him to be heroic and resourceful. I feel that over the years, the Doctor's come less vital, no longer struggling for survival, depending on instant, miraculous solutions to the problems. I want to restore that. My doctor will be flawed. He will have the best intentions and he will, in the end, win through, but always not act for the best. Sometimes he will even endanger his companions, but I want him to have a sort of reckless innocence. So that was how he approached it. And I think we all know that, uh, like uh, has become more and more common, 
the, I think the first one that he filmed wasn't necessarily the first one that they aired. Um, I think the first one he actually made was um, for To Doomsday, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, okay. Let me just read out the... Um, I'll do it again in, in three sections, but his first season as the Doctor was uh, season 19, and the stories in that season were Castrovalva, For To Doomsday, Kinder, The Visitation, Black Orchid, that was the two-part one, Earthshock, and Time Flight. So I'll just play the first clip, and this is from Castrovalva, and then we'll go to Darth if we may. Here are the other 15 volumes. Put them down there. Well done, my great. All right, run along. You know, I'm very fond of history, but I don't usually get much time for reading. Ah, no! Please. It's backed with silver. Helps to keep it out. It? And what, sir, is it? Precisely what I'm trying to find out. Tell me, Murgrave, what do you see out of the window? Well, sir, the town square, the library, the Portreeu's house, and my own pharmacy. In fine, sir, the dwellings of Castrovalva. And it all makes sense to you. Strange question. Shardavan has asked the same. Shardavan. He, too, can be a little fevered in his imaginings. This will dispel your fatigue. How do I know you're telling the truth? conclusion. Because, sir, I maintain Someone... a man. And I am a man of my word. A perfect example of recursion, Murgrave. And recursion is exactly what we're up against. And I think that broke up a little bit. Um, before we started the recording, I was being told by other members of the group that uh, my audio was breaking up somewhat. So you didn't miss here there. I think it was just breaking up. So apologies for that. And um, Darth, actually, I heard. Kind. Actually, I heard two audio clips playing at the same time. The curse of occlusion. Someone's manipulating Castrovalva. Well, that's not me. We're caught in a space time trap. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think that's Ian where the breakup was. Ian was wrong, and I was right. <laughs> that was me. On Bellin's Dave. God, nobody believes me now. Oh, hey, I no. believe you, Dave. I believe you. <laughs> you saw his name lights up, didn't you? <laughs> well, I just knew that he likes that clip, so I just figured. <laughs> well, Darth, I'm sorry about that. Um, would you be so kind as to go now while we, we're still on air? We haven't had the plug, plug pulled. Well, I think I was talking last week about how the, uh, um, the this edition of the revisitation thing or the Doctor's Revisit or whatever we're going to call this damn series um, is, was actually a lot better than the ones before it. And that's true because I think basically it, it manages to somehow comprise the uh, entirety of the era without shortchanging anybody. And of course that's because we're now entering, uh, you know, the land of the nothing doctors in a way. Um, and by that, of course, I mean that uh, the, the eras of these doctors are, are, are really quite shrunken compared to the first four. Um, though, of course, you know, with Peter Davison, we're still in kind of a respectable length, but it, it 
you know, is, is vastly shorter still than um, really either of the previous four. And they do a very clever thing here where they manage to include all of the companions, except I suppose Gerald Flood, who, of course, is dead, um, and, and, and yet not talk about all of them. So you, you get this interesting thing where you do see Nicola Bryant, but they don't at all talk about Perry um, because presumably that's what the only thing they, they can really talk about um, next time on the Six Doctor edition. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting thing because it, it does feel complete, even though it's kind of cheating and it really isn't complete. But then again, you know, I mean, Perry, you're only talking about two stories, although one of them is considered by some fans, at least, to be the best single story in Doctor Who's history. Um, I, I thought that the uh, the special worked really well. I mean, you know, any time that you bring in Peter Davison to talk about really anything, but especially to talk about Doctor Who, it's going to be funny and interesting because he's just that kind of a guy. Um, and, you know, whether you're talking about the commentaries or whether you're talking about you know, his recent appearance at the BFI screening or, or this thing, you're, there's a certain levity to his um, approach to Doctor Who that makes it interesting to listen to. So that was showcased quite well. Um, and, and I think that the... I, I don't really have any problems with really anything about the the Doctor's Revisited edition about him because how could you really complain about it I, I mean maybe somebody else has got some problems with it but I, I couldn't really find anything that I would necessarily would have added um, I don't know uh, except for maybe the one thing that you know the and it's not it's nothing to do with the actual um, you know documentary nature of the show. It's not it's not to do with the subject. The subject is about the Fifth Doctor's era. But of course one of the interesting things now about Doctor Who sort of production history is that you would expect for um maybe sort of uh especially since you had Davis uh, um David Tennant on the special, you I mean, a part of me said, well, why don't they just say, you know, this is my father-in-law. I mean, why doesn't he, you know, in terms of full disclosure, say, look, I married this guy's daughter. Um, so, of course, I'm going to be, you know, heaping praise on him. I mean, it does kind of make it seem a little bit disingenuous when David Tennant is there. And he doesn't say, look, you know, I got to be honest with you and say, of course, I'm going to say positive things about this guy. Because, A, he was the doctor when I was a kid. And, B, I married his daughter. I mean, that's... You kind of feel like he should say that, and on the other hand, part of you says, "Well, that, in a sense, isn't relevant, but it kind of is, you know, because it goes to explaining why David Tennant is so positive." Um, but anyway, that, that that's the only small thing that I could think of that is an, is a piece of information that the new viewer should kind of have in understanding why David Tennant is on this thing. I found the the one thing that I found surprising, and, and actually there were two things that actually surprised me in this thing. And and one of them was uh I never really knew that Noel Clark was either of the right age. I mean, is he of the right age to actually yeah, I was have... surprised. Uh, yeah, he's about forty, uh, isn't he? 
Well, see, I didn't think he was that old. I thought he was only in his 30s, uh, early 30s, I thought, because I thought he was like in his 20s last decade when he was actually playing Mickey, and that wouldn't have been old enough at all to have He's seen Peter Davison. That's just really right? that, that that surprised me. So, I mean, I guess I could have learned that by just going to Wikipedia and looking at his birth date, I guess. But I certainly don't think of him as being that old. That that would mean that he was thirty when he was playing Mickey, which really blows my mind a little bit because I I thought he was, you know, the same age as as Billy Piper, but I guess he really really isn't. Um, so that's interesting. But the other thing that was. I would consider to be actually something I never thought before, and that's the little bit in there by Matthew Waterhouse where he says that the way he was playing it with Davison was that he thought that Davison could see him, could see Waterhouse, could see Adric as a young version of the first Doctor, and so that's why the fifth Doctor was always annoyed with Adric because nobody likes to be looking at you know, themselves in their youth. And I thought that was fascinating. That was a really good observation that I've never heard before. Maybe he makes that in his autobiography, but, you know, damn sure I'm not spending any money on an act, on a Waterhouse biography. But, you know, I, I certainly have never heard that anywhere before. Um, and it, it's rare that I am surprised by a little factoid from a primary source, source about the classic series. But that, that was really kind of fabulous to... Think about it in that in those terms, and it does kind of make some sense, you know. And and you can kind of see well the difference between the fourth Doctor and fifth Doctor with Adric is you know the fourth Doctor is older and he doesn't mind that being reminded of you know that part of his youth. He's you know he knows he's getting close to the end of his time. I guess you know who the hell knows what the Watcher really is, but one imagines he's felt this portent for some time or whatever. So maybe that's why he is okay with Adric. Um, whereas the fifth doctor is new and he's like, the last thing I want to be reminded of is the past kind of, I guess, I don't know, but, but still it was an interesting observation. And, you know, I think it's the first time in this series of specials where I've actually heard something that I've never heard before. So there we go. Uh, yes, Merlin. Hello. Nice to have you back in the, non-speaking part of the podcast. Um, yeah, so there we go. That's good. The uh, Speaking more broadly about the um, um, Fifth Doctor's era, I guess, the, the thing that, you know, I always remember about the first doc, the Fifth Doctor is that he's the guy that um, at the end of the day, uh, I didn't really think of as He's the first guy, I guess, who who I I didn't well aside from Matt Smith, who I didn't know prior to coming into Doctor Who. So I, I knew him as something else before that, and so I you know to this day for some reason think of him as an actor, a proper actor, um, in a way that I don't for almost everybody else. Um, I'm I'm very easily able to divorce uh, myself or, or divorce him from the role of Doctor Who, so I do think of the Fifth Doctor as just another role that he played, and and I, I quite like that. It's one of the reasons I really like that Peter Davison and the whole Fifth Doctor's era is because I can see it as a role. 
Um, so, I don't know. There you go. Which was unusual. Certainly, it was unusual. Certainly. Well, yeah, and I, and I don't think I'm unusual in that. I mean, I think if you were in Britain at the time watching it completely contemporaneously, I think that you also looked at it that way. You also thought this is a guy I know primarily as Tristan on uh, All Creatures Great and Small, which is the way I knew him certainly, um, and and therefore this is a totally new role, and I've got to get used to him as you know in a totally different context. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure that there were some people who could remember. John Pertwee, maybe from I don't know the Navy Lark, but that would have been radio, and I don't know how many, if he really had an established role in a visual medium before he took over Doctor Who. I mean, he he had been in things, but whether he, you knew him and associated with a particular role, I don't think that's true, and I don't think it's true of of Davis of a uh, of um Troughton either, because Troughton Patrick was such Trouton. a character. He was such a character actor and, and going into lots of different roles that you might have known him as a character actor, but whether you knew him as another character, well-established, that's another thing. I suppose Hartnell, some people, did actually know him from, what, the Army game or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. He usually played so, uh, unlikable people as well. His sergeant majors are... Sergeant right. Are, um, yeah, so you might have known him as a sort of... It's not just that you would have known him as a particular one, though. I mean, I guess there were people who were fans of Army Game, although having seen Army Game, I don't know how the hell anybody could be actually a fan of that because it's horrible. But some people might have regularly watched the Army Game in association with that particular character. But I think in the thing with Hartnell is that people, as you say, Dave, thought of him as generally uh, acting in one particular part. Um you know, as a as a not one particular part, but one character type, um, and, and therefore we're maybe surprised that he had the range to do something that was sort of completely opposite of that. But I mean, yeah, I it think was a bit like a Sid James character. If you remember Sid James, at which I think I know you rate as a pretty you, good actor mm, um, yeah. before he went into comedy. Uh, it was yeah. that sort of a heavy, you know. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think Davison is still the only person who really, truly had a, a hit character, had an established persona in the British consciousness before he started the role. Because, I mean, fine, you got McGann, who people would have known from one role, maybe, in one movie. But that's not really, you know, a character that you're living with on a daily basis on television, kind of. Um, and, you know, certainly uh, all three of the modern actors were famous Kind of, um, you know, people knew who Christopher Eccleston was. I mean, maybe you know, from the north. What was that? From the north, shadows from the north. What was it called? Boys from the north. Whatever it was. No, the north. Uh, yeah. The, north, whatever, whatever it was that had Daniel Craig and Christopher Eccleston. That's probably the closest thing to, like, oh well, no, I guess he was on Cracker too, wasn't he? Uh, Eccleston. So, and not from the start, but he was a regular character on some of the later seasons of Cracker. So maybe people had, you know, something, some kind of character they associated with Davison. But I, think, I mean, with uh, with Eccleston. But I think he was still mainly somebody who are friends in the North. There you go. Thank you, Carpenter. Um, but but I think Davison that Eccleston was still sort of like Hartnell, somebody who was famous for playing a certain type, a you know, sort of Northern kind of aggressive type, sort of kind of, um, and and. You know that that's fine, and I, I think Davison uh, that uh, T 
tenant was known, certainly. I mean, people in 2005 would have said, oh, he's the guy from Casanova. But, you know, Casanova's only three episodes. It's not like you're, you know, living with that for 10 years or even three years, uh, day in, day out, like you would have with um, All Creatures Great and Small. I mean, the difference, I think, between the Davison entry into Doctor Who and everybody else who are really proper good actors, you know, and I'm sorry, but Colin Baker does not count, nor does Sylvester McCoy. I mean, we're talking about people who really had a career of major dimension. Um, Is that, you know, All Creatures Great and Small is one of those rare British shows that actually had long, proper seasons. I mean, had sort of U.S. size seasons. I mean, they were at least 13 episodes. I think the early ones are even more than 90, 90 episodes. No, but I'm talking about the actual size of the seasons, the three seasons that he was in before getting Doctor Who. It was oh. not like it's not like these little, you know, three episode seasons or six episode seasons. They were proper. They were at least thirteen episode seasons, if not lo- bigger than that, in the first three years, because um, they got smaller at, after he left. Really, right? Um, so it was three, fourteen, then it went to ten, twelve. Series one and two were twenty-seven each. I mean, which is massive for for British television. And so, therefore, you're really talking about a pretty, I mean, a larger body of work, certainly in All Creatures Great and Small, than what he has in Doctor Who. You know, so that, to me, that's what I'll always associate with Davison, is that he was properly known as somebody else, and he really did create another character. And then, you know, with Campion, he creates yet another character that lasts for a relatively long period of time. And then, you know, the various, uh, then you, you know, Dangerous Davies, whatever, creates another character there. He's a guy who really has had more than his fair share of successful, relatively long-running programs in in British television. And so I think that's why when you look at him in Doctor Who, there's really not that much difference in the dismal quality of the scripts in his era as, you know, you find in the Sixth Doctor's era and the Seventh Doctor's era, because really... You know, for most of that time, you've got the same script editor. So it's still Eric Sayward pumping his crap into Doctor Who. But the difference uh, and the reason that one can like the the, the uh, Fifth Doctor's era and not really like the other two eras is just because Peter Davison is a proper, real, good actor. Just proper. Um and, and and you sense that. You sense that his ability to liven up the crappiest lines to make things that are are really I mean, just look at that the beginning of visitation, right? All of that faffing around in the TARDIS and, and, and uh you know, the stupid lines about the lateral cones are wrong and you know, all that techno battle. That's the beautiful thing about him is he was the guy who really could take the techno babble that had crept into the show almost overnight you know thank you christopher bidmead and eric sayward for not getting rid of it um he took all that stuff and he made it into you know moments like comedy or or stuff that just sounded probable or he was able to make techno babble something that you were afraid of or something that you could laugh with or whatever and so that sort of fooled you into believing that the scripts weren't quite as bad as what they really were. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a gift. That's a gift that, you know, only somebody who really has true, both star quality and care and attention 
um, about the role that you're playing that can can pull off. You know, it's the trick of it's LeVar Burton's trick. It's his immense gift that he's able to take, you know, the thankless role of Jordy the Forge and turn it into somebody that you actually cared about, even though there is nothing in most scripts to give you even the slightest hint that you should care about him. And it's the same thing with the fifth doctor. There's nothing there. It is a wasteland. You give that to any other actor pretty much. um, And they come off looking like, you know, and I know we got fans, but they come off looking like Colin Baker or they come off looking like Sylvester McCoy. They come off looking really bad, but somehow Davison, when he's given the same crappy lines, looks incredible. Well, not incredible, but he looks he looks plausible. He looks believable. He looks like somebody you want to follow. Um, and I think the, can, can I just to, say, in the defense of people like Colin, though, you're talking no, no, no. about nope. no, you can't, their, you can't, you can't. what, what nope. their quality was nope. at the time. Not you. Not letting you. Um, the, um, you, you don't I, think that some of them have developed as a after in, this I, event? No. I, you're getting off point. It doesn't matter. No. The the point is, you know... This is what they were kind when of, they came like, the role. Yeah. The, the point, yeah. And not only that, but the point is really one that was made, I think, in the, in the actual special where David Tennant says, and I think quite rightly, and this is dead on exactly what Davison is about, you know, within a week or two, you know, despite the fact that you love Tom Baker... And you were completely enamored of that doctor. Within a week or two, Davison has you. And, then, and unfortunately, it is a week or two because you've got to wait for a week or two to pass before anything happens in Castrovalva. Uh, you know, and he gets out of the box. Uh, but as soon as he's there, as soon as he's up and around, even if he doesn't quite know who he is, he still is interesting. You're still watching him. You're still engaged with him. And, you know, you completely buy things that are not explained in the script just because it's Peter Davison. I mean, you, you buy, he's wearing a, a, a stick of celery. Why? Who knows? I and mean, when you get the explanation three years later, it makes no sense, but you still buy it. Uh, you know, and, and quite rightly, Stephen Moffat points out in time crash, you know, not a lot of men can carry off a decorative vegetable. That is exactly the point and beauty of Peter Davison. Not a lot of guys could do that because you look at Colin Baker, you put a cat badge on him. He doesn't carry it off. It doesn't work in any way, shape or form. You put a question mark pullover onto McCoy and you just think that is unbelievably absurd, but you put celery onto Peter Davison and it still is. You kind of go with it. You know, you go with it to the point that you're sitting there watching visitation part one and the celery disappears, and you're like, where the hell's the celery? Where is that celery? And you're watching part one until finally there's a little point in there where he put, you see him physically put it back on, and you're like, oh, okay, there it is. You know, and you have no reason to you – there's no reason to care why that celery is there, but you do just because it's Peter Davison. Um, so that's – to me, that is what is uh, the whole deal with the Davison era, and I think it's summed up quite well in the – revisitations thing the peter davison era is about one thing it is about peter davison it is about the magnetic quality that an actor who has the gift of being a star actor can bring even when everything else is against him production values are horrible the scripts horrible and i don't even case of androzani i think is horrible i really think it's horrible i think it is just it blows my mind that people think that is the best Doctor Who story of all time. It is not. But the thing is, 
you can't take your eyes off of Peter Davison. Um, and, and, you know, everything in that era is as stacked against Davison's success as it was against Colin success. And uh, maybe not quite so much McCoy's success because <laughs> McCoy's not an actor. So therefore, some of the problems of that era are actually his too. Um, and certainly Sophie Aldred, not an actor. So a lot of the, the problems there are actually with the actors too. But, you know, if you look at the difference between how you feel after Twin Dilemma, part four, and how you feel at, at the end of Castrovalva, part four, I think for most people, the difference is quite extreme. At the end of Castrovalva, you're like, great, we got our doctor back, we're going off on new adventures, he's put a piece of celery on his lapel, I have no idea why, but we're just going to climb in the TARDIS and we're going to go off. At the end of Twin Dilemma, you're like, what the hell just happened to my eyes? I mean, I like that story more than I like most other Colin Baker stuff, but still, as compared to what Davison is able to do at the end of Castrovalva, and both stories are similarly nonsensical. I mean, seriously, there's not much difference between the logic of Twin Dilemma and the logic behind Castrovalva. Uh, both of them are inferior stories in terms of plot to say, Robot or Spearhead from Space or Power of the Daleks or An Unearthly Child or Rose or whatever. They are, they're all bad. Uh, or they're both bad. But still, at the end of the day, the way you feel after Castrovala is not the way that you feel after you've watched Twin Dilemma. Most people. Ian may disagree, but most people... It, it's, it is. It's all about Peter Davison. I think that the, one of the great things about this revisitation thing is the people who were on it, uh, especially Noel Clark and, and, and David Tennant, and I think Hugh Bonneville, too, sort of contributed to that, were able to frame that era in a way that is truthful and that makes sense and that is better, I think, than I've seen the era characterized before because it doesn't try to defend the stories. It just tries to tell you what's great about Peter Davison, and I think I think that they did an admirable job of that. Yeah, um, I take on board the, the fact that he, he, he was a, obviously a, a much more polished actor, and he he'd done stuff, and he, he knew the the medium much better. Mm. I would I would say though, however, sometimes now there's two points of view. Some people say that you know you, you as long as the actor believes the words he's saying and portrays it, that's the way you should do it. In other words, if you're in a program where there are uh, uh, silly uh, premises, if the, the main actor acts as though those premises are real, then you go along with him. But I, I still believe that, I mean, I wouldn't suggest, for instance, that in Blake 7, Paul Darrow is a good actor. But yet, for Blake 7, the way he acts, uh, you know, as the part of Avon, for me, works. This, you could even say, you know, about um, William Shatner in, in, in Star Trek. You, you're not saying that they're good actors, but sometimes they they are, they make that part their own. And that kind of acting, that larger-than-life, chewing-the-furniture acting can work. It doesn't mean they're a good actor. And when you see them in something else, you wonder why, you know, they ever made the part. But, I mean... 
I, I agree with you that Peter Davidson is much well acted, uh, as well as I would say Patrick Troughton was a, was a, a great actor. Um, but uh, is it that much of a handicap in a series like Doctor Who, which when all said and done, it, you know, is, well, it was a minority genre. Now, now it's gone mainstream. Perhaps it's more important now that in current day times, the person who's picked to play the Doctor has to be an all-round actor. Uh, because you, you, because I think uh, you've made the point before, for Doctor Who to survive and to get to break into America and so on, it can't just be, you know, a geek sci-fi show. It's got to be, it, the drama's got to live on its own. I mean, Russell T Davies, who I know some people here uh, rate higher than Stephen Moffat. One of the things that, that even with his silly queen waving a handbag um, in some episodes. You know, he writes characterization great, and the whole, you know, level of production of Doctor Who has gone into this thing where, you know, you're not just appealing for 30% of the geeks, you've got to really make it as a mainstream program whose genre just happens to be sci fi. The point I'm trying to make, if I went on too long there, was. Um, the acting of the other people doesn't have the range, but in some cases, like Colin Baker, I think Colin Baker portrayed the Six Doctor very well, and probably he's come up, and now with the Audio Adventures, another work he's done, and we've seen him in Casualty and things like that. You know, he's he's perhaps a better actor now. I mean, obviously, when he was in uh, the other parts that he's played, he wasn't particularly um, a great actor, or indeed a fully formed actor. Well, yeah, but Dave, what, I think what you're saying there is, all right, uh, you can rate Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy or whatever on equal pegging with Peter Davison if you look at them now, but you're not allowing Peter Davison to have improved. And I think that's not the case. I think even today, Peter Davison is oh. way better than those other two. He just is a more naturally gifted, more naturally charismatic oh, yeah, yeah. guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's I'll just, agree that. He's just. I mean, I saw him in an episode great. of um, of uh, is it Endeavour he was in. I can't remember if it was Endeavour. No, or Lewis is in a recent episode of that, and I thought it was actually played a really vicious guy in that. Right, really, and you know, I mean, uh, who's on? I mean, fine, you got you got uh, Sylvester McCoy through complete and utter luck getting the Hobbit, right? The only reason he's getting that is because Peter Jackson happens to be a Seventh Doctor fan. That's it. I mean, let's be honest with each other. It has nothing to do with his actual talent. He didn't audition for the role. It's just because Peter, Day, uh, Peter Jackson bought the Seventh Doctor uniform off of eBay and so naturally, unbelievably, highly rates that guy. And Peter Jackson, not known for his ability to actually, well... Judge talent in terms of acting, but anyway. Well, well, he, well he had toured for three years with Gandalf, uh, not Gandalf, um, <laughs> uh, Ian McKellen. So Ian McKellen playing his fool, hadn't he? Uh, okay, but playing the fool, exactly, exactly. Whereas you have Peter Davison in, you know, a much more mainstream, much more uh, better noticed thing. I mean, I'll say Legally Blonde, and people will think, well, Legally Blonde, that's just, you know, some silly Reese Witherspoon cast-off thing, but Legally Vaughn won Lawrence Olivier Awards, left, right, and center. Um, and, you know, certainly Davison's performance is well known in that, and he's doing, you know, two, two or three performances on the weekend, and he's doing performance every night. I mean, really doing 
hard graft as far as an actor. And, uh, you know, before that, having done spam a lot, I mean, really, truly in, uh, uh, yes, Merlin, I'm not saying that the fool is not a fantastic role that Merlin in chat is saying the fool is fantastic role. And he's tired of me. This and seventh doctor or McCoy. Yes. It's a fantastic role within that play, but it's also not a role of any particular dimension or, uh, it's playing to his strengths, you mean? It's, yeah. it's playing to the strengths of what Sylvester McCoy can do. To this day, I mean, you listen to his performance in audio. To this day, McCoy cannot do anger. I mean, in any way, shape, or form, his anger is always completely unbelievable. Um, so, whatever. I mean, the point is, I think any reasonable person who is judging the acting performances of uh, various actors who played the role of the doctor would have to say Peter Davison is one of the ones who is a good actor and other people are not good actors. I mean, he's one of the people who is a professional actor and that helps him uh, make that little era of Doctor Who more interesting than it has a right to be. Uh, you know, if, if anything, I'm slagging off on the the quality of the other aspects of Doctor Who during his time, which are, I think, equal throughout John Nathan Turner's producership. I don't think there's anything remarkably different about one part of John Nathan Turner's era than the other, except at one point he's producing less of it. That's about okay. it. Let me just ask you one question, then I'll, I'll play mm. a clip from The Visitation. Um, you, you didn't particularly rate Caves of Androzani. Uh, is it which of Davidson's... Um, where, where would you feel as though he actually showed his his, his best work? Uh, would it be um, Enlightenment or Mordred uh, Undead? Or? No, I mean, I, th- I think that the best work... I mean, you'd have to say Cage Ranazani, you know, for Davison himself, is quite good. You know, because he's responding well to the direction of Graham Harper that's in it and everything. I just think that the other elements of... Uh, Case Ranzani are not as strong as that, and I don't, I don't particularly like the story. It feels really not that much like Doctor Who to me. Um, but you know, as an example of his acting craft, you can find a number of scenes in there where it's he's really good and interesting. Uh, but you know, I, I've always liked Frontios for him. You know, for his particular, uh, you know, for showcasing his Doctor, I think it's just fabulous. And I think you know, sort of episode one of Frontios is just marvelous Davison that gives you the, the quintessential fifth doctor, really. Um, Dave, could I interject the, for a sec? Okay, uh, Garth? Yeah. The latecomer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I totally embrace what you're saying about T- Peter Davison. He is a versatile, tremendous actor. But can't we embrace him without a denigration of others who play a role. And I, I don't even disagree from your viewpoint that you, you cannot abide Sylvester McCoy, who I embrace, and I think he is a fine quality actor. I'm not going to measure by an exact extent, but it's something Dave even said. William Shatner is a really fine actor. Yeah. Now, there are times he is just her, you know, histrionically horrible, so was Richard Burton. But dear God, uh, see him in Andersonville trial or uh, 
Roger yeah, Corman's yeah. The Intruder. He is a stunning actor, and so many people don't know about that. Right. Now, it's just the sense that uh, Sylvester gives a lot of pleasure to a lot of people, and it's, I think, and the scripts were terrible in the beginning for his reign and, until they started writing for him, and I think things improved. He kept that show together. He he was doing it, you know, he was doing it by trick and charisma and what have you. But I think he has grown as an actor. I think he was brilliant as the fool. I love what he did in The Hobbit, uh, comically, and, and uh, it was just wonderfully charming part to it. And I'm not going to go by a comparison. Peter Davison, uh, I would have loved to have seen him in, in Legally Blonde, uh, I, uh, et cetera. And he's done so much uh, that, that's versatile. You know, that, that was the saving grace. Uh, I mean, I'll get to my bit. Tom Baker is a very hard act to follow. But can't, you, can't we just kind of embrace a bit each other's love for this without, I mean, this is my appeal to you, Darth, without saying everybody's got to agree that this guy sucks. No, a lot of us aren't going to agree. But I value your voice, and I value your passion and things. But it 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 kind of hurts sometimes because it, you know these we're equally passionate those of us that can like someone you know that uh, you know I I think the sixth doctor's great he's not the sixth doctor he really wanted to play but I think Colin has wonderful talents you know I I will cringe every time and also smile every time you 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 say it up about uh, Sylvester. You know, both both Jeff and I are going. Hmm. So I, I'm just saying, can yeah, we embrace? I, can we embrace yeah. a little more? No, we really can't because that's that's intellectually dishonest, is what that is. No, I don't. I don't think it's intellectually I, dishonest. Oh, I, I think I yeah, think you, I think you can have your viewpoint, and then also value uh, someone else's and going from from your point of view, and from your artistic sensibilities, you treasure something that you like, not that. What, what I'm not else? telling. I'm not telling anybody they have to believe what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. I, I'm not saying that at all. But I mean, what I'm saying is there. There is a unique opportunity here. Um, in, in that, unfortunately, John Nathan Turner produces all three of these guys, and in fact, produces a little bit of Tom Baker as well. And and really, everything's pretty much the same. You can you can quibble a little bit about the last year of Andrew Cartmel. That's crap. Frankly, I think uh, because it's all pretty much the same. You're talking about, you know, the similar similar budgets for each episode. Uh, you're talking about, you know, kind of the same pressures. You're talking about, you know, a lot of the same players are involved behind the scenes. Uh, so it is a similar era, and you're looking at three different guys, really, because by that point, Tom Baker has already established what he's going to establish long before that. Um, you're talking about three different guys who have the same opportunity to make an impression. And, and therefore, it is a, an intellectually valid exercise to say, since these other issues are basically the same, what is the impact of each one of these um, actors as they start out? And, and again, the reason I'm sort of bringing this up is because it's a part of what was in the episode that we're supposed to be really talking about. We're talking about Doctors Revisited, The Fifth Doctor. And it's a, it is a point that David Tennant brings up where he says, you know, 
I was really worried at the time. What was I going to do without Tom Baker? But the beauty of Peter Davison is within a few episodes or weeks, I guess is what he says, uh, suddenly it's okay. And it's like you never even remembered who Tom Baker was. That was gone. We were in a new era and you completely trusted and went along with Peter Davison. And that is not something I think anybody, honestly, I mean, you, you can take this as my opinion, but I think if you really search your own feelings, you will know this to be true. Um, nobody after a few weeks of Colin Baker or a few weeks of time in the frickin' Ronnie is going to say, okay, I'm on board with this guy. You don't believe that. Nobody believes that. Even Jeff. Jeff does not believe after two or three weeks of time in the Ronnie that everything is okay with Sylvester McCoy. Do you believe that, Jeff? Well, I had a lot more confidence in the show than I did with Colin Baker. Okay. So you're saying over (laughs) Colin Baker. But you're not thinking really, truly everything's okay at that point, are you? Well, I this is how I felt. I thought we have a doctor that I care about. Now, now in defense for for Colin, um over the years I've grown to like Colin Baker a lot more than I did. Uh, I think the audio has helped and watching the these stories again as an adult, I've had a better um feel for Colin Baker and have grown uh, to, to like him more. Uh, but you have to remember, I was a late teen at the, at that point, And I felt that, uh, when, when, when Sylvester started and, um, yeah, I, I felt that, Hey, we've got a doctor that I can care about and, and, uh, that I can actually like the, the characteristics of uh, after, well, I mean, after time in the Ronnie, it, it just had a different feel. It, uh, for Colin, he just felt to me as as a teenager that he was a kind of an arrogant man, and I, I just didn't care for him. And Sylvester was just so much lighter and uh, likable. Well, I mean, I've got to be honest. I, I I was almost in despair when when I saw the first couple of stories with uh, Sylvester McCoy. I mean, uh, I, he when he tried to rant, I couldn't hear a word he said. And, and when he gets the spoons out, he was so, he, he, you could tell his lack of confidence. He was, and I think he's actually expressed this on some uh, some cons. He said, "I thought if I keep moving and keep talking, they won't notice I'm not acting." Sort of thing. V- virtually something that along those lines. He, he went there and just kept talking. But uh, just for Ken's point of view, because uh, Ken, uh, you may have come in, Darth. Uh, partly giving you the the reason why that was being the majority of his talk. But we were also talking about, you know, this was the first, you know, before this, this was the first Doctor Who actor was coming to the role who'd already been, you know, a tremendous, you know, um, certainly in the UK, a household name. So that was where this was coming from, that, you know, he'd, he'd got his acting chops and professional name, out there and was known for that nope. prior to taking the role. That, Dave, that was, tell me if I'm think, wrong from my American viewpoint. Wasn't John Pertwee and Pat Troughton? We did mention that Pat did, Troughton was. Uh, with John Pertwee, he was more of a radio star. Navy like Lodge, etc. Okay. Uh, and an older generation. I mean, John Pertwee, uh, 
the, you know, the people watching Doctor Who, their parents would have known John Pertwee, yeah. uh, but but for the the kids, they would have not known him at all. I don't think. Um, oh, I, but, I, I love what I love what Darth saying about Peter Davison. I agree a hundred percent. I oh, mean, yeah, the, I, the I, man, I the man is the man is a brilliant, versatile actor and a talent that grows uh, with years passing. Well, okay, Dave, can I just follow on what you said for, for certainly, a second? Certainly, certainly can. Yeah, and and then we'll, we'll probably go to you next if you want. But if you want to just address that point. Well, you said that Sylvester was uh, didn't look comfortable in the role, and I, I think that's because of the scripts. I admit the scripts were, were terrible, especially in that first season for Sylvester. So how, how can you um, feel comfortable in a role that, uh, first off, they had written probably for a different actor, and second, we're not all that great anyway. Well, but see, I would come back and say, and this is my point about looking at it as the entirety of the 80s because it's one producer. There's, there, there, seriously, there is a, a paper's width of difference between the quality of the script of Castrovalva and the quality of the script of Twin Dilemma and the quality of the script of Time of the Ronnie. Um, and and all that. I disagree with that. Well, but... I mean, I look at the think. look at the look at the mighty two hundred pole, right? What do you got in the bottom? You got time flight. That's Davison's first season. That's what one ninety six or something like that. You got time in the Ronnie, um, and I'm you've got to have Twin Dilemma in there too. So it's you've got something from each of the first seasons of each of these doctors. Um, I honestly, the script quality is pretty bad throughout. There, there, you don't have anything in here in the first season of any of these guys that is a stone-cold classic. You don't. You really don't. And the best that you've got are some that are, you know, Urshak's got something about it because it's got the return of the Cyberman because it's got the death of Adric, spoiler. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's got something in there um, that makes you kind of sort of like it. Uh, but it's not the greatest story ever told it's not you know particularly high up there it sort of is but you know and you don't really have anything from colin baker's first season that's particularly up there you don't have anything from certainly from mccoy's first season that is particularly well regarded it's all kind of stuff that's in the bottom quartile of of doctor Who stories over time uh so you know i can understand if you were saying um you know if you if you didn't go back and you look at Pertwee and, and uh, Baker and, and actually Hartnell and Troughton, you know, because you can say in each one of those guys' first seasons, you've got, you know, your Daleks or Aztecs. You've got your Power of the Daleks. Um, you've got your Highlander. You've got your uh, Spearhead from Space. You've got your Inferno. Uh, you've got Genesis of the Daleks. You know, you've got real classics that are in those first seasons. That's not really true of five, six, or seven. And so what you've got is a lot of stories that are rated about the same from, you know, across time from Doctor Who fans. And really, at the end of the day, the thing that makes Davison's first season work better than the first season of Colin Baker or the first season of McCoy is Davison. That's it. It's Davison. Certainly not the companions. I mean, you know, 
really the companion situation is a little better with McCoy or with uh, oh, what's his name, Baker, you know, because he's only got one. And okay, neither Bonnie Langford or Nicola Bryant are the world's best actors, but they're not much worse than. Surely they're better than Matthew Waterhouse. Surely, surely we can agree that they're better than that, at least. Um, and and he's only got one of them, so he's got a relationship that he could, you know, start to get something going with, you know. Whereas you've got this sort of, you know, kindergarten land that's going on in season nineteen, you know. Um, and it's uh, it, it's just it, it is completely fair, I think, to look at these three guys and say, well, who had the better start? And why did they have the better start? And it's instructive to look at it, too. If you're trying to figure out, you know, what makes Doctor Who good and popular and keeps it, you know, with, with viewerships that are 8 to 10 billion, and what is it that makes it less popular and has viewerships that are, you know, at best 6 or 7 million, but more regularly, you know, 4 to 5 million. I mean, really kind of dismal. You know, what is it that that essentially makes good Doctor Who, that makes, if you've got that level playing field, why is it that Peter Davison in, in season 19 has so much better ratings than the other two guys? And it's Peter Davison, man. That's, it is absolutely, and that's what the, I think the point of that, the, the revisitation special is, is that it, it is about the charisma, the niceness, the conviviality, the, the the fact that he had already been a household name and a star, the fact that he could relate to the press, the fact that he could do these things that just made him look, you know, attractive uh, to the general audience. That's the difference. That that essential, whatever you call that, joie de vivre. I don't know the the it factor that that gives you a good leading man, that gives you a great leading man instead of just one that can do the work and sort of carry the technical workings of the show. Um, and it's really instructive to look comparatively. And, you know, again, I'm not saying anybody is bad or wrong. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I do want, I have to be honest with you, I do wonder about the critical faculties of people who look at Sylvester McCoy and say, that's a good actor. I really do wonder about that. Colin Baker, not so much. I mean, Colin Baker, he is a perfectly serviceable actor, who, you know, you put him in certain roles and he'll be fine. He can, you know, do things. You know, he was certainly passable enough in The Brothers. You know, he really, you can do things with him. Uh, and, you know, in certain roles, you can do that with McCoy. I think McCoy is somebody who honestly could have been a good companion, an interesting companion. Uh, but I, I don't know that he had the, I, I really do think that the lesson of the, of the 80s is, when you compare these guys who otherwise are on a level playing field, he he comes well, up quite short. That, that brings an interesting talk, which I don't think we can go into now, well, any further now, and that is the fact that sometimes somebody who actually leads the show and is absolutely brilliant in that show and therefore is widely perceived as a great actor or actress may not be. It's simply that they poured 90% of their being into that part. So... Um, some people might say, um, I don't know, uh, Buffy, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, was actually fa a fantastic actress, and in that part, I thought she was a fantastic actress. But that doesn't mean that necessarily when she comes outside that uh, and she's in other shows, 
that, that that comes across. The point is, if somebody's so perfect for a part, um, uh, I'm trying to think of um, another, another actor to give you an idea. Um, Pete, who's Peter? The oh, Gaiky, the, the the sailing ship one, Ken. Uh, Peter Gilmore. Um, oh, oh, the sailing ship one. I'll try and think of it in a minute. I'll, I'll look him up. Um, in fact, let me play the next clip. We're going to go to Jeff next, and I'll, I'll look over. I mean, that, um, uh, about that uh, actor in a minute. Why were those men following us? You don't know. Well, we're new to the area. You must be new to the world, sir. Have not you heard? There is plague. Where? Everywhere. That is why the village is guarded so vigilantly. They are terrified of strangers and the pestilence they may carry. Of course, the reason for the sulfuric smoke, purification fires. Is that why you're not staying in the village? Alas, because of the plague, everywhere is unfriendly. Hence, the guns. Oh, not entirely. I was once a noted thespian, until forced into rural exile by the closure of the theatres. And it is only with the aid of these properties I am able to command the attention of an audience nowadays. You sound like a highwayman or a robber. A gentleman of the road, madam. Richard Mace, at your service. So I only plan to rob you of a little of your time and company. After many weeks alone in the woods, I would risk anything for an hour's good conversation. How bad is the plague? Oh, the worst I've ever seen. More virulent here than the city, but that's only to be expected. What? Did not you see the comet a few weeks ago? A portent of doom, if ever I saw one. Its aurora barely faded from the sky before the first local case was reported. You were clear until then? Oh, completely. So not due for a comet for years. It lit up the sky as I've never experienced it before. You're sure it wasn't a meteor? You call it what you wish. I have seen many falling stars, but this is without parallel. And by the way, uh, Peter Davis, uh, sorry, the fifth doctor, when he says that he's not due for a comet, he's stroking his celery at that point as though he's looking at some sort of calculator. Um, yeah, it was uh, Peter Gilmore in the O'Neillian line, who was a brilliant actor in that part, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they have the range. So sometimes I think uh, a lot of people will defend... Uh, an actor in a role that they they've thoroughly enjoyed simply because that, that that's the role that that person almost is born to to act in uh, where you have other actors who are you know um they can play um you know american presidents and so on uh, uh, uh they can play uh, the last of the mohicans they can play the president they can play a man with one left foot and i think you know what i'm talking about so, Daniel Day-Lewis, of course. So, um, Jeff, um, oh, let me just read off, by the way, uh, I'd, I've read the list of the uh, season 19. Uh, season 20, we've got Ark of Infinity, Snake Dance, Mordred Undead, Terminus, Enlightenment, and King's Demons. Uh, is there anything I need to read in text, Ian, before we go to Jeff? Nothing I can see. Okay. Uh, Okay, lots of text chat going on to those people listening to the recording later. If you come and join us live, you can take part in that. I'll use text chat grabber to read it later. So, uh, Jeff, uh, thank you, Darth. 
Uh, let's go to Jeff. I think we're going to have a very interesting discussion in two weeks and in about a month and a half. Very interesting. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a, a different stance than Darth did. Um, Tom Baker was my first doctor, and I watched him for years uh, on PBS uh, because they just kept repeating his episodes over and over, at least on my local station they did. And when they finally got to Legopolis and Fourth Doctor regenerated into the fifth, and then they started to show the first few stories of Peter Davison, I was like, who is this guy? I, I don't like him at all. He's he's not the Doctor. He, and, uh, you know, uh, Darth said that, you know, after a couple of weeks, he, Peter Davison had you. Well, he didn't have me. It, it took a good while before I started getting used to him and to like him because I was just so used to Tom Baker playing the role. And uh, I wasn't used to the idea of regeneration at that point. It got better when uh, when they finally started showing some John Pertwee, and then I was used to having you know different actors in the role. And I had seen the fi the five Doctors by that point, so I had seen uh, some of the prior actors playing the role as well. But um, yeah, I, I I can see where Peter Davison's star quality comes through. He is a very good actor, and I, I thought he played the role very well. Uh, as the doctor, and uh, again, especially there in Castrovalva, where you have him trying to find his own persona and bringing out uh, aspects of prior doctors, uh, uh, I, I could appreciate that in later viewings of that story, uh, because the, you know I, I had seen some of those uh, other a uh, actors play the role and could see their aspects in his portrayal there in Castrovalva. So that, that was kind of neat. Um, again, I hadn't seen that before. It was all new to me. Um, it, it, he had, uh, well, I, I think it, showed, it, it said in the special that uh, he had the most companions coming over from one doctor to the next uh, in the show's history. And uh, so th that was a lot to take in, I think, for him having a lot of actors to try to play off of and, and um, build relationships from. So I, they did have a, a busy TARDIS, as, as the special indicated, uh, a lot of different personalities and uh, trying to build friendships there. I, I, I think it made it tough in some regards for, for Peter Davison coming in, uh, even though, you know, uh, Tegan was just in one story before, and uh, Nissa just a few. Still, it, it was a, a busy TARDIS, as they said. Uh, made it made it kind of interesting and tough. Um, I, I don't kind of buy the idea that they made in the special that, well, they had too many people and one of them had to go. And again, spoiler alert: Adric dies in this uh, story that they just showed, oh, no. Earth Shock. <laughs> because um, they brought in another character not too much after that. So, again, you had the same number of people. Artists. So I don't, I don't know if I buy that idea 
that it was just too busy and they had to get rid of a character. Um, something else that I didn't care for in the special, and, and Darth kind of alluded to this, but in a positive way, I think it was kind of a negative way. Um, true, Perry was only a character in two stories, and they brought in Nicola Bryant, and they interviewed her and had her on the special, but they never really indicated that, hey, she was the companion to the Doctor right at the end of Davison's run. Uh, I, I think they could have just thrown a line in there or something like that uh, to indicate that. And I really didn't get to talk last week about Tom Baker, um, and I, th I think that was a big problem with that special last week. How could you not talk about Harry or, or Ramana in, in, in the Fourth Doctor special? Uh, especially Romana, because you had two actresses playing the role and uh, in the role for uh, quite a while in Tom Baker's run. Uh, I just didn't understand that. Um, and I, I guess this comes down to the inequality. You know, Tom Baker was in the role for seven years and uh, Pertwee was in for five. And, you know, they, they were in so many more stories or more episodes than the later actors, uh, maybe they should have had longer specials for them or maybe two-parters or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, how can you not mention these other characters? It just boggles my mind. Um, other than that, I thought the special this time around was good. Uh, the, the big omission was Perry. I think my favorite uh, Davison uh, story was um, Modern Undead. I love that story. I love bringing back the Brigadier. Um, the the uh, time paradox that was raised in that uh, story I thought was exceptionally well done. It was just a great script and uh, well acted, and uh, it's, it's good to have... Uh, um, the Brigadier back in the role, even though if my one little problem with that story was he was a school math teacher. I didn't quite buy that, but uh, um, other than that, it was just just fabulous. And um, I can watch that over and over and over. It's just, just a great story. Uh, I, I, I do like uh, uh, Caves very much. I, I can watch that a lot over and over again. Uh, one of my favorite Peter Davison stories. And uh, I'm sorry, Darth, but I, I think Earthshock is one of the better stories in Doctor Who's, uh, at least the classic runs, history. I would probably put it up there in the top 10 or 15. I just thought that was a, a great story and a great use of the Cybermen and um, You both you up me? there for me. Yeah, just uh, just pause for me. Might be my audio. I apologize. No, that's okay, Dave. Maybe it was me. No, he went uh, off. I haven't heard him for a few minutes. For a few minutes, I was gone that long. Well, I don't know, thirty seconds. No. Uh, okay. No, it wasn't. Uh, it, 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 anyway, uh, I think we followed what you said about. Um, uh, I mean, um, as one of the people said on my DVD. Um, yeah, that episode made quite an impact, which was rather <laughs> naughty thing to say, really, wasn't it? Uh, um, 
I kind of wished when they played this story, Earthshock, on BBC America, that they would have used the uh, the new effects that they had on the DVD. Uh, it was quite confusing what was happening in the way it was originally filmed with the original effects, uh, especially at the end of the story. Um, I, I don't know if they would have had the rights to play the DVD-enhanced version with the new effects, but uh, trying to bring in a new audience to Classic Who, um, I, I would think that you would try to present the best version available. And clearly, the version they played was not the best one available. And, and that brings up another point about that particular uh, transmission of that story. I hated what they did at the end. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, hear, I hear Ken coming in there. I think yeah. he agrees with me. Oh, God, yeah. You know, you you have. Well, okay, tell, can this, you tell us what they did uh, that they didn't? Yeah, I, I was getting. Did not, all right. I was when this story ran, and and every time I've seen it on PBS, they ran the end credits without any music, no sound at all. It was just the end credits with um, with Adric's broken um, star symbol on the floor. And uh, they didn't do that here on BBC America. They went to some uh, very loud music, advertising something. I don't remember what they were advertising with the credits rolling in a little box in the upper right corner. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome? <laughs> yeah. Why? That's perfect. Because you're taking... You're just... Cause you're showing what it would be like today and how you would never get away with that. I I, I think that's it, great. It ruins how the story was originally ran. So buy it on DVD. You know, well, I have I mean, what, do you want? what do you want? Okay, well what do you want for a nickel? I mean it's a free presentation. Oh well. They made it they you know, they're always going to screw around with it a little bit, whether you're talking about the aspect ratio or whatever, to make it work in a modern context. It's just not going to because you're talking about, you know, thirty year old tape. Uh I think it's but I think it's it, great as an object lesson of this is what it would look like today. You could never it, get away with that today, you but, know, but doing the, the ending from a vest. But the point is they're showing a classic story. Yeah, so I, you should have it in the classic sense. Uh, and they, I, I, it wasn't. Yeah, I appreciate that. But on the other hand, the uh, the countervailing argument there is that ending of the, you know, broken star is emotionally affecting and powerful because you've been watching the series from week to week. Not even week to week, of course, at this point. You're watching it on Tuesday and Thursday. And uh, you are used to how the titles end. And so, therefore, you see something different and you realize, oh, that's to you know, enhance the emotional impact of that scene. But they've shown no other Davison on BBC America. They've shown no other anything, really. I mean, they... You're not you're not seeing this on any kind of regular basis. It's a feature presentation, uh, so therefore the ending title would have no emotional impact whatsoever on you. I mean, they would on you because you've seen this show before. But to the new audience that this is trying to build, it would probably look like an error. Yeah, but it also doesn't show respect, I think, as well. I think that's my reaction would have been that it wouldn't show, well, it wasn't showing respect to it. I mean, having said that, from, from all from all the blooming screen litter 
that you've seen some of the American things with, you know, they're telling you what program you're watching now, and then they'll tell you what program you're going to watch right, next. Right, right. As, though yeah, you're, as, as though you're a gormless idiot in front of your TV and don't know what you're doing. Right, and that's a separate issue entirely. But, but the, the, you know, I would really take issue with, oh, it's not showing any respect. What are you talking about? It is the national debut of Earthshock. I mean, that's respectful, I would think, you know, to, for it to finally get a national broadcast debut all across the country. That's pretty good, especially for, well, you, know, and that's a, you know, Jeff's mate, well, he'd make the point he said, but they're not going the extra mile and just doing it the justice it deserves. Maybe. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I, understand was... the I understand the disappointment. I just think that's maybe not, you can't expect that. I mean, it, it is amazing enough. I think that it's getting a U.S. national debut. We're not getting it. You're not getting. Yeah, exactly. Very good, Dave. You're not getting it at all. Uh, and I don't know what the last time was that Urshak was on British TV. What was that back in the UK Gold? I would think UK Gold nineties or 90s. something like that. Yeah, long time. I'm sorry, Jeff. I mean, I understand. Oh, I, no, I really no. do. I do understand your point. It, it is. It is. As a purist to Doctor Who, and yet it's on the on the other hand, you know, even though I understand where you're coming from, it's interesting that you want that, but yet you're complaining about the inclusion of the original graphics. I mean, you can't really have it both oh, ways. That's, can that, you? that's that's a bit of a. It's got you there, Jeff. If you want it treated as it was, then they shouldn't improve the graphics either. Well, why did they do it for the DVD release then? Because that's the DVD release, and that's what the D that's part of the value added material. Money, the DVD. Money, and the, yeah. and the DVD the DVD doesn't preclude you seeing the original; it just gives you that as an additional option. Right. Yes, because I've seen a couple of DVDs where you can choose to either watch the original. I can't remember. It was a different story. Yeah, I think and where you can choose. Yeah. Plus, I think one yeah. of the interesting points about Earthshock is precisely that ending that you're complaining about. If you watch it in its original. It makes no sense. The graphics are totally screwed up. And this is part of what I'm saying. They oh, didn't yeah, learn shit. anything. By the, by the time you get to the McCoy era, you haven't really learned that much in terms of special effects either. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense because the special effects simply do not meet the minimum requirement of telling a story. <coughs> and I think Ursoc is the perfect example. And you're quite right, Jeff, to pull me up on the fact that actually it is one of the Stone Cold Classic, yes, it is number 19 in the poll. It is actually you know, highly, more highly regarded than I had indicated before. But I think, too, a lot of that is coming from the fact that people are, like yourself, now used to the new graphics, which enhance that, the end of that story no end. It is, it is one of the cases, uh, and a relatively rare case, I think, of them putting on new graphics, uh, new special effects, and it making a material difference to the telling of the story. You know, you look at something like uh, Ark in Space, which does have some nice new graphics on it. That doesn't really do anything to improve the telling of the story. Yeah, but I agree with, with you. Earth, with Earthshock, it is critical. It's crucial. You, you literally can't understand what the hell is going on without the new graphics. You can't. Yes, because you just see the spaceship uh, on the monitor, don't you? You don't see it impact yeah, at all. It's yeah. kind of glowing and finally blows up. Yeah. And it looks like it blows up in space. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, how did that – that's not the asteroid impacting the Earth. How does that kill the dinosaurs? That just inconveniences them when they have bad weather for a while. Yeah, all that would do is knock the trees down like in Russia. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, Jeff. Go. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you came in, Darth. And you know, well, I, I respect your, your view on how a modern audience would look at the ending. Let me. Play. I've got a short clip. It's not the end of a shot, but the next clip I've got is a shot. So it'll give you a chance to gather your thoughts. And the other thing, by the way, is um, I'm hoping to go to Ken after you, but I, I, I don't know whether you wanted time as well to talk a little bit about the fourth Doctor because you missed last week. So while you consider what you want to, how you want to proceed, Jeff, I play a short. It's only a forty-second clip from Earth shot. Who are they? Androids. That's why they didn't register on your scanners. And? Are they yours? No. And if you want proof, you'll find they'll kill me as willingly as they'll kill you. See what I mean? That's them. I recognize that sound. Those are the things that attacked you. Yes. Do you know why? No. There isn't a reason. Whoever's controlling the androids thinks there is. Them and I think uh, Peter Davidson said that the uh, Cybermen were his favourite uh, alien race. So how do you want to proceed? Do you want to carry on where you left off? Or do you want to uh, just round up on that and then do a little bit on the fourth Doctor that you missed? Well, it's interesting you play that clip because... Um you know, there was a huge surprise that the Cybermen were in this story uh, in, in Britain when this originally played. And uh, usually when you have the Cybermen on, you have something of the Cybermen as the title. Well, this didn't have that. And, uh, of course, we didn't have the Internet and all that social media going on. So it was a big surprise. And, uh, and I think David Tennant alluded to that in the special. So. I wish we could go back to that. And, you know, I really respect you, Darth, in, in that regard, because you stay away from the news. And you're not, you know, clued in on what's coming up usually. And I wish sometimes I had your uh, approach to that. Uh, so I, I could be surprised on what's going to happen next. But I, I think mm-hmm. I was... I'm sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, it's okay. I was just saying indeed, yeah. We're getting a little break up and over talking, people listening to the recording later, so uh, please bear with us. Go on, Jeff. I, I think I'm pretty much done with the fifth Doctor, and what I wanted to say about the fourth Doctor, I think I've already said. Uh, just mainly okay. the well, exclusion of, of Romana completely. I mean, that's just unquestionable. And, and Harry, I mean, you look at um, early Tom Baker... A lot of people would say the best TARDIS, team TARDIS, if you will, is the fourth Doctor, Harry, and, and uh, Sarah Jane. How could you leave Harry out of that equation? You know what? I, I've been thinking about that since then. And you know what I think it is, Jeff, is I think it's because Elizabeth Sladen is dead. That if Liz Sladen were still alive and she were a part of that um, thing that fourth Doctor revisited, there is little doubt in my mind that she would have brought up Perry. You know, because she and Ian Martyr were really good friends. Well, so was Baker. Uh, and it, for all we know, when Baker was doing his bit for it, he, he did bring up Ian Martyr. Because why wouldn't he? Because he didn't, you know, 
write a film with the guy uh, or at least start down that path. So mm-hmm. he was clearly good friends with him. I think that they, they must have cut it out. But if, if Liz Slayton had been there and in the interview chair, she would have definitely brought up Ian Martyr. And, you know, if you have Liz Slayton bringing up Ian Martyr and you have Tom Baker bringing him up, I think he would then have been a part of the special. Right. Yeah, you could be right about that. Okay, well, uh, you mentioned the um, the Mordred and Dead and the, the Brigadier bit. Let me just play that, and um, and then I'll ask you if you want to comment on that, and then we'll go to Ken. Go on. By the way, how's Sergeant Benton these days? Oh, left the army in 79, a sell second-hand car somewhere. And Harry Sullivan? Condit NATO. Last heard of doing something very hush-hush at the port and down. Do you ever see anything of Joe Grant? What? My assistant, Joe Grant. Joe Grant. Joe Grant. Sarah Jane? Sarah Jane. Lee Shaw, you'll remember, of course. walked over my grave. Perhaps it was a Yeti. Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. One lump, one lump, two, one lump, two. Well, bless my soul. So you've done it again, Doctor. And what was the first one got married? It mentioned Harry Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got in. So, um, any final thoughts before we move on to Ken? Uh, Nick, Nicholas Courtney is just a gem as the Brigadier. And I can watch any story he's in and just appreciate his portrayal. He's just awesome. I'll leave it at that. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Ken, um, glad you could make it. Um, for those people listening, Ken wasn't sure he'd be able to make it and joined us uh, partway through, but has already glad to be made here. some contributions. Yeah. So, yeah. so your thoughts on either the special or on uh, Peter Davidson's tenure as the... Give a little of each. And I want to echo Jeff's fine comments about Nick Courtney. Uh, he was a treasure. He is a treasure. Anything he does. And... Nice stint in uh, All Creatures Great and Small, too. It's a really wonderful episode uh, with him in it. Um, okay, the Doctors Revisited, Fifth Doctor, Peter Davison. Well, really thinking about this whole thing, all of the specials, you know, as much as I enjoy that they're making an effort, they're a mess. They're a mess. Because there is a gross inequality. Um, you, this one, I think, was about uh, 90% spot on. Um, but what they really should have done is use the extra time for a longer special when needed. Don't cut off and say we're going to make every special the same amount because some doctors are getting terrible short shrift. Um, as we said, human beings aren't existing. Harry Sullivan, 
the Ramanas. Uh, there, there should have been comments about each regeneration. There should have been uh, something mentioned about the how it affected society at large in England. Each doctor, each doctor leaving, um, holiday uh, festivities, the different Doctor Who records and different things. Something very nice in this would have been, you know, to show the, I would think, the rather famous James Bond picture of uh, Peter Davis and Nicola Bryant uh, that was taken. And even the concept of, uh, you know, Peter Davison being the sexy doctor uh, way before uh, David Tennant was the sexy doctor uh, going in there. So this, this was a very nice special. Uh, and the the best, excuse me, in highlighting, you know, in person, you know, Janet Fielding there, uh, like Tegan, Nicola Bryant, uh, Mark Strickson was Turlow, of course, Peter Davison, Sarah Sutton was there, uh, like Nissa, Matthew Waterhouse at Adric, Stephen Moffat, of course, uh, put his effort in. And you, Bonnerville, and even No Clark, um, gave uh, some nice comments on everything. They uh, did uh, give some time to, um, you know, Anthony Ainley's portrayal of the Master, which was very good. And I, I think uh, they encapsulated what made Peter Davison so good as his doctor, the vulnerability his uh, sense of fair play, this decent attitude of him, and a very human attitude. And up to this time, he was the most human of the doctors. Now, my my feelings about him as a doctor, this, you know, I had just watched Tom Baker um, coming into watching Doctor Who in the, in the 80s uh, on PBS after the anniversary special. And so I'm very invested in Tom Baker, and he is my doctor. And I had a big disappointment. Uh, to me, Peter Davison was a wimp. And I, I had not watched All Creatures Great and Small before this. I, I had known the other actors who, would go on, who had played the doctor and other things. And I really, really resented him you know, pulling the scarf apart, etc., and it, it it was really bothersome. And then I started to get into it. And then it hooked with me. This feeling that, well, he might appear young. But at times, there's the old, the tetchiness. The weight of years goes on him. And I almost envisioned, and if you notice, when, when he first appears, when he's changing uh, from uh, the regeneration, from from fourth to fifth doctor, he certainly kind of resembles William Hartnell a bit. And I always had that feeling that trapped inside that body, there's a a bit of the first doctor wanting to get out. And as the character progressed through the years, there was more and more of that, the attitude toward humanity, uh, bemoaning uh, our state on this planet. And I, I, I thought he did a, he did a wonderful job. I, at the time, I, like I said, I was not so invested in him. I, I even kind of cheered when, 
when Colin Baker said, change, my dear, and not a moment too soon, because I wanted an exuberant, eclectic, outgoing doctor. But as my taste rarefied, and I watched and rewatched the episodes, I saw what he was doing and uh, really came to embrace you know, his, his time as the doctor and really liked it. Now, I, I think there is a difference in the time periods and the ratings between his tenure as the doctor and um, Collins and uh, Sylvester's. And I think it's more than just uh, who's playing the part, although Peter Davison did have a following before he became the doctor. I think it was production staff. I think it was uh, the uh, pro- Michael Grade problem uh, rearing its head. I think in in the fan attitude, I, I always remember J&T was not so loathed by the fan base at this time. There was a positive quality. It was the um, 20th anniversary of the show, and it was a very supportive feeling for the show during the during the Davison years. So that that certainly did not hurt him. I think there was more of an adversarial and more of a problem within the production staff and it's it's a given that J and T wanted to leave the show and they said, No, you're 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 staying put so a producer under duress, I would say, doesn't do the best possible job. But that's something for another week to discuss. I'm talking about Peter Davison. The the episode that was shown, Earthshock, um, one of my favorites of the Davison era, and I think one of the best Cybermen episodes, and I do love the Cybermen, and they are handled very well, very well. There are um, homages to Tomb of the Cybermen in this episode. I really like the way the mystery of you know, what is the cause of the menace throughout the beginning of the episode into the big reveal. Um, Adric is not one of my favorite companions, but Waterhouse, I think, does a, does a really good job uh, in in this episode. And and the neat twist about, you know, well, Adric going boom, uh, gets rid of the dinosaurs too, is rather a witty and uh, interesting conceit. To add to the episode, so I'm I'm glad they showed this. I I also am really troubled about uh, how it was shown, and and generally, BBC America what they do in their repeats, the way they they will butcher episodes that after a first run of Doctor Who. But uh, as to it being free, no, it's it's a paid tier that you generally get on digital. So, so it's not a basic cable station. I, I really uh, wish that they would, uh, you know, do a little more in that sense. Again, I am so grateful that we do get it, and that there are fans who are able to have a taste of each doctor, which they're not getting this in England, which, which is a real shame. So, on one hand, I will bless them, and with the other hand, I'll go. If you're going to have the respect to show the episode, and you're not showing it episodically, which would be the best way to do it, you can at least show the end credits, 
the way they were, and not just for this episode, uh, for each of the classic episodes. So you can at least give the feeling this is what the end title music is like on the show, if, you, if you've never had an idea. I mean, it, it, it's something uh, I wish they did. They're not doing it. I can moan to the cows come home, and here they are. They're coming home. You know, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, can I just jump in there? The only the only channel I've ever seen do that, Ken, is in the UK, BBC4. Now, admittedly, there's a point there already, because it's not done on the BBC1, on the main premium channel, but right. they, they have done it on BBC4, where they've basically you know, done a historic night's programming, almost. Right. Um, yeah. So they, they've even shown other programs that were on the TV at the same time. So you, yeah. they basically theme, done a thematic approach to the evening's viewing. But admittedly, that's not on yeah. the major yeah. channel. This, is, this is a general complaint I'll have with commercial television in the U.S. We don't get end credits anymore. That's it. i got to live with it. That's the way it goes. Um, some channels, they'll begin the... If you watch a movie on... Uh, TNT channel, I think it is, or something. They'll have on the left hand of the screen the end titles of the movie, and on the right side, the uh, next movie will already be starting at the same time consecutively. So, it's, you know, at least. Well, don't get started on that. I mean, what about these ones where you see a program and you see it looks as though a character has just died? Then they show the trailer for next week and the person's obviously alive. Yeah, yeah. That's That's the hell out of me, that. I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, going by season by season, um, we again we we had a very big change during the end of the the Baker days. Um, from we lost a lot of the sense of wit. It wasn't exactly as the Doctor became dour. There was the Christopher Bidmead overtalky science era of the show which on one hand is interesting, on the other hand is becomes a crashing bore, and it does take a really good actor like Peter Davison to to go through that. But the the trilogy uh, ending in Legopolis is really interesting. It has that, like I said uh, last week, a sense of Im- impending doom. I, uh, Ian also uh, commented on that. Uh, a feeling of uh, dread to the episode, which is really well handled. Um, Castrovalva is good. I, I really like Kinda. Um, it's interesting having uh, the TARDIS populated by all these different characters, the the sad, uh, intelligent, wayward uh, last survivor of her uh, planet, uh, Nyssa, the... Uh, rather bossy, impetuous, uh, very striking uh, airline stewardess, Tegan, who very much gets on the nerves and I think is very endearing at the same time. Uh, The young man that is set on to kill the doctor, uh, Turlow, nicely played by Mark Strickson. And, um, And then when you have Perry at the end, who... At time, as a character, didn't do much for me, uh, except very easy on the eye, I might add. 
And um, she did a decent enough job, I would say. Um, but again, with an actor on Doctor Who, sometimes the fault doesn't lie in their talents, but to the director and the script they're giving. Uh, Bonnie Langford is a wonderful talent on the West End boards and a musical uh, comedy star, and you wouldn't know it from Doctor Who. But uh, she's very, very talented. She just didn't get a chance to showcase it, I think, on Doctor Who uh, later on in, in those age. But her um, shock, like I mentioned, is, I think, an exceptional episode. I always like Snake Dance, the uh, sequel to Kinda. Um, Modern and Dead, uh, one of my favorites. I, I love the flashbacks. Peter Davison is fantastic in it. Um, Collins, I forget his uh, first name, Richard Collins? Yes. I think it is. Um, who is uh, Silver in Sapphire and Steel also is uh, very, very good as Modwin and, and Nick Courtney uh, reprising his role as the Brigadier. I, I, I love that, that episode. Five Doctors is a lot of fun. It, it's, it's not an exceptional episode, but it's just great to have well four out of the five uh, doctors together and uh the used up the non-used clip from uh Shada being used in it uh to some nice effect it it's it's too bad that uh, Tom Baker uh, didn't want to be part of the whole proceedings but uh he thought it was too soon and uh didn't want to be one of the many as he put it at the time I always really liked Warriors of the Deep, uh, notwithstanding the Mirka, oh God, but with how the episode was conceived and Davison's attitude at the end and and the combining of uh, some classic uh, deep sea monsters from Doctor Who has always made it a favorite of mine. Resurrection of the Daleks. I really like this episode, the introduction of Lytton as a character, who we'll see later on in the Colin Baker episode, Attack of the Cybermen. Oh, um, this is a very, very good episode, and uh, one of my favorites. Uh, Planet of Fire, very interesting uh, episode about a uh, religious uh, order on a planet. Um, introduction of Perry. And Caves Vendrazani, although I don't think it's the best episode of all time. Very striking combination. Of, reminds me of a Blake 7 episode crossed with uh, mm-hmm. The Phantom of the Opera. And uh, put into the mix The Doctor. And it is a exciting, exceptional episode. Uh, he really left an amazing mark on the show. Uh it really takes a great actor to follow an act like Tom Baker. And that's almost something near near to impossible. Um, I think in a way that credit could be given to Matt Smith right now with uh, following David Tennant for his popularity and I think his great talent as an actor. So um, Peter Davison, through subtleties and a very different take, uh, really won over and made the show his own. And I I really enjoyed his, his turn as the Doctor. 
Um, he even, like Darth said, he even sold the celery, uh, made it well. I I like the cricketing the cricketer's outfit. Uh, there's a there's a genial, wonderful quality to him, and there is a. Um, I'm sure the entire book's not like this, but there is a book uh, touting about uh, racist attitudes in Doctor Who that say the costume of the fifth Doctor uh, symbolizes uh, bigotry and the Raj in England. Well, I think nothing could be more laughable uh, than that comparison because nothing could be more humane than Peter Davison's portrayal as the Doctor. And I uh, really enjoyed his, uh, his turn as that. He isn't my favorite, favorite Doctor, but he he is up there and very respected and a really nice guy, nice guy if you ever get to meet him at a convention or see him in a musical in the West End. And that's my take on uh, Doctor Revisited and The Fifth Doctor. Okay, thank you as always, Ken. Uh, great points. Let me just play a clip and... Um, Ian's already let me know that he he will go last or, or not at all. He just had to step away for a moment, but uh, I think he'll be back uh, any time now. Let me play a clip from Enlightenment. And uh, by the way, well, no, I'll mention it when it's my turn. I'll go next unless Ian wants to step in. Have you ever seen a man flogged to death? <laughs> or keel hold? Very painful. You ephemerals have such inventive ways of inflicting pain. Tell me, what do you want aboard my ship? Why ask? I thought you could all read minds. But yours is such a devious It's fascinating. I should like to peel it away, layer by layer. Why did you come to me? Was your intention sabotage? No. Then why did you come to my ship? Because you're going to win the race. Am I? What makes you so sure? What others have said. Ah, that I'm ruthless. Yes. I'm the same. I'm very determined, too. I like to win. You please me. I also want to learn the secret of your power. Power? To win. To control. To read minds. Then open your mind. Don't resist. Show faith. Thank you. Okay, and um, uh, uh, Ian is back. I think he's okay for me to go next. Uh, what I'm going to do is, uh, before I get really into it, I just want to read um, the the fact that uh, I've got the next season to add in. For that, of course, in 1983 was the special The Five Doctors. And then uh, season 21 was in 1984. And we have the episodes Warriors of the Deep, The Awakening, Frontieros, Resurrection of the Daleks, Planet of Fire, and then Caves of Androzani. Um, what I'm going to do now is um, I'm just going to play um, one more clip and then I'll have my bit. Why did they build the church so far from the village? The Awakening. Perhaps they refused planning permission. Behave yourselves. We have company. 
go back. Too late. Where do you think you're going? This is Sir George Hutchinson's land. If we're trespassing, I apologize. Little Hodcombe, for your own safety, is a closed area. We're in the middle of a war game. We're here to visit my grandfather. You'd better see Sir George. He'll sort it out. What's going on here? Trespassers, Colonel. I've arrested them. I don't believe this. Are you sure you should be doing this? Sir George has been informed. I'm sorry about this. Some of the men do get a bit uh, carried away. <laughs> we'll soon have the business sorted out and you're safely on your way. Thank you. It's a very impressive room, Colonel. My pride and joy. 17th century? Yes. It's perfect in every detail. What is going on? Oh, sorry, I don't know. I think everyone's gone mad. Look, we don't want to interfere. We're just here to visit my grandfather. Oh, yes? And who might he be? Andrew Burney. Burney? What's wrong? He disappeared a few days ago. Well, has anything been done to find him? Ben? Well? Now, calm down, Tegan. I'm sure we can sort this out. Oh, for heaven's sake! Now, Tegan, come back! Uh, turn the fetch over, would you? Please, you stay where you are. Uh, and again, these clips are not great, uh, particular moments, but they're, they're, they give an idea and a flavour of the uh, the way the fifth Doctor Peter Davison was portraying the character, and uh, the very fact, of course, that we had to juggle so many uh, people. I mean, the TARDIS was very full indeed in this fact. Uh, what I'm going to start off mentioning, by the way, is one of the things that. Um, I can't remember if this was about the first time we it started to happen, but we started to get more guest stars. I think it was from about the fifth Doctor onwards that we started to get um, stars. I mean, we we've had um, we had Stratford Johns in Four to Doomsday, I think. We had Linda Barron in Earthshock, uh, Martin Clunes in uh, uh, Snake Dance. Um, in, in that one, we've just had the Awakening. There was. Uh, um, Dennis Lett, who played the uh, the uh, the leader there, and Polly Jane, who perhaps you may not know, of, but is a was a a comedian uh, actress. Um, so it, I think I, I, probably somebody can correct me, but in the the earlier ten years with the second, third, and fourth Doctor, I don't remember having featured cameo parts with with stars in the show, um, but. Um, Maybe, um, but I, the, I, I thought, although uh, I like the fact that we had a young, vigorous uh, doctor take place, and we had a, a young cast all the way through, in fact, um, but it, it wasn't that easy going, if I remember, because um, we had, obviously, this um, this um, black bat, bat's blood poisoning. Sorry, the, I'm getting mixed up now, you see. I've got myself mixed up. As we got the bat blood boiling at the end of this regeneration into the sixth doctor, but right at the beginning of this one, we still had a, an awful lot of um, procedure with the, um, the looking for the zero room and the doctor being carried around in that white casket to retrieve. I mean, I know that's been done again in in like uh, the David Tennant's era with the Christmas invasion, where you know he's asleep in a bed for half the episode, but. Um, and I don't think it, it was an easy transition. And uh, as been said before, uh, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, had been in the part for seven years. So it was probably just as well that they cast somebody who 
um, was known to be a good actor. And as was said much earlier, uh, the people that knew him had worked on all creatures, great and small, so they knew uh, the the quality of actors they were getting in for the part. Um, the Christian theme, um, I seem to remember at the time wondering whether, although that would work and went down well here in the UK, and probably went down well in Australia. Remember, we had uh, Tegan as a, an Australian uh, companion, as it were. Um, I suppose that was the market they were still trying to break into. Um, I don't know how well that would have fared in later, you know, if they'd been trying to penetrate the American market at this point. Um, but um, it certainly worked. There were quite a lot of stories that I liked. Um, Ian maybe mentioning that um, he liked the, the the end of the Tom Baker era going into Castrovalva, that little section of episodes, and I'm sure you'll talk about them. Um, but but I you see I like Black Orchid even though it turned out to be uh, not really a monster story at all. It was I'm not sure it was one of the, the few historical only ones because of course there was um, a secret in the household, but it turned out not to be of an alien nature. Earthshock had that um, really um, big storyline. Of course, uh, again we had. Um, that was the one with uh, Beryl Reed on, I think. Uh, so we had a, a star guest there. We had the surprise. We didn't know it was going to be the Cybermen. And, of course, we had um, the, 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 the real uh, tragedy of a companion dying. And uh, the, um, the way that story was shown first and the credit ending that they did, it certainly... Uh, was something that uh, shocked a lot of people in the UK, and a lot of younger people didn't know about, um, you know, I didn't know that a companion could actually die while they were the doctor. And of course, I suppose it all leads into the fact that later um, Nissa will not Nissa, Tegan would want to leave because later on uh, in the stories uh, she gets to that point where she really does get. Um, fed up with all the death and all the uh, the suffering and she just wants to go back to a normal life. So all in all, I, I liked uh, The Fifth Doctor. Um, of course, we see him again, as I said, um, uh, not just in The Five Doctors, we see him again in um, a couple of things, don't we? We see him in Time and Space. Um, uh, are we going to mention Time Lash? Um not time lash. Um, what's the other one? He he, he makes a, a brief appearance in. I've lost it now. Time crash is the one. Time crash. Is. Time crash. That was the other one. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. I'm getting the two names mixed up, aren't I? Um, yeah. but all in all, uh, I liked it. I I did think that the uh, the TARDIS was too grand, but I did like. I mean, I like this as a uh, a companion. I like T and and. Is it Thurlow? Yes, Thurlow. Um, found it difficult to get used to his attitude because there again, but at least it shows that they were still pushing Doctor Who in different directions. They weren't just having um, the same, you know, uh, people coming on board. They weren't the most important people in the world, but they had an agenda of sorts, and certainly he did. And um, all in all, I think um, it was the... Sixth Doctor that had the wobblier start, and then the Seventh Doctor. So I feel as though the the, um, the 
the fifth doctor for that time was really probably in its prime for the uh, for the period very much uh, set in the 80s, of course, and very much can be identified in the 80s with the hairstyles and the look and so on. But I think that um, this Peter Davidson's years were actually pretty good. As I said right at the beginning, Ken probably missed this, but um, he only actually start, uh, took the role for 20 stories, uh, 69 episodes. But uh, nonetheless, I think uh, The Fifth Doctor um, made the part his own. Um, and all in all, I enjoyed most of the stories. I'm trying to think if there's any weak ones. I wasn't really so keen on Kinder, but Snake... Oh, Martin Clunes, and I mentioned him as a guest as well in that. So, all in, I think my favourite of his stories, in actual fact, was probably Enlightenment. I liked Caves of Fire, uh, Caves of Androzani, but I would think my favourite was actually Enlightenment. Uh, I like the idea of those... Uh, sailing ships in space and the Eternals and uh, one or two other things. So I'm going to keep it brief at that because we are getting very much to the time limit for Ian. Um, so let me play um, another little clip and then find out um, what Ian uh, would like to do. And this is from the um, Resurrection of the Daleks. Oh, and this is another uh, actor that we had come in, uh, Rodney Bruce, one of the likely lads. You're right, lad. Be careful. I was terrified it was a Dalek. It was. Or at least the remains of one. He's still alive. We have to find it. Before it tries to kill again. You alright? There are malfunctions in my life support system. I require an engineer. We must board the Dalek ship. It must be being close to my cryogenic chamber. It may be necessary for me to be refrozen. There is a time factor. The space station transmitted a distress call. It will take days for the task force to arrive. Not if the signal's been intercepted by a patrol ship. And you will shoot it down! I cannot be moved! Order an engineer to attend Davros. We should leave here at once. Without Davros, we have no future. He must be made to believe that we serve him. This is a waste of time. The mutant could have escaped using the time corridor. True. So why are you being so tentative in your search? Oh, well, we don't know for certain. Precisely. That's why we're searching the warehouse. What's it look like? Oh, you won't mistake it. The moment you find it, it'll try and kill you. Uh, and of course, they were because we saw the uh, the creature from the Dalek outside its its case, so that was frightening. I also should mention, of course, it had uh, Ruler Lenska in this episode, and I've already been mentioned Morris Colburn from Lytton, who I remember in um, ooh another another seafaring Howard's Way. Howard's Way yeah, uh, I watched him from that. Thank you for that. And uh, who else? We had somebody else in there as well, but. Um, Oh, yes. Um, oh, I don't know whether we had Terry Malloy, of course, being Davros in this case. Morning. And Dirty Den from, from, from EastEnders. Ah, Leslie, Leslie Grantham, yeah. Leslie Grantham, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so um, uh, I've got 
two clips left, Ian, whether we play them or not. One's the Caves of Androzani, and one is the uh, the transition from the fifth to the sixth Doctor, which, as tradition goes, we'll probably play out with that. So should I play one more clip and then go to you? Yeah, and I'll close out the show because um, we're really Okay, time, all right. So. Caves of Androzani, then. Here we go. Under emergency regulations, anyone caught supplying arms to the android rebels faces summary execution. But, but, but we weren't supplying arms. We were... Well, we, we just found them. Sir. Sir. If you cooperate, I'm prepared to extend clemency. If you don't cooperate, you'll be shot. Is that clear? Couldn't put it more plainly. Exactly how do we cooperate? Sir. Thank you. Do not provoke me. Sorry. I want to know your names and the names of your confederates. I want full details of all armaments deliverance, where and how they are brought in, who supplies them back on Major, and what your communication arrangements are with Sharon's Jack. Well, I'm generally known as the Doctor. My young friend here is known as Perry. That is Perfect Gillian Brown. Don't waste my time. You know, if we could just sit down and talk about this little misunderstanding in a civilized manner. My young friend here has been complaining of pains in her legs. You can see for yourself she's suffering from some sort of urticaria. Silence! Come to that. I don't feel too well myself. Yes? Signal, sir. Crown Morgus is on bid. He wants to speak to you immediately, General. I'll take it. Put them in there. And I should just say two other things on that quickly. Uh, Robert Glenister was, uh, that's the brother of um, our man from Life on Mars. Uh, and uh, Ashes to Ashes was in this. Uh, and uh, also there's the bit where John Norrington, Morgus, breaks the fourth wall. I think this is the episode where mm-hmm. he breaks the fourth wall, isn't it? So yeah. that was another thing. So, Ian, yep. uh, I'll play the other one last clip when you tell me to. Okay, okay. Well, thank you all for showing up today. Um, we had a, uh, a small group, but uh, a lively bunch. Um, join us next week for goodness knows what. <laughs> David and I'll figure that out tonight. <laughs> yeah, the sixth, the sixth Doctor in two weeks. Yes, the Sixth Doctor in two weeks. So, yes, um, join us for that. And of course, join us next week because I'm sure it'll be fun. All right, Dave, if you've got that queued up, until yep. next week, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Perry. Perry, can you hear me? Open your mouth. You must drink this.
You sound a rather egotistical young lady. What's happened? Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.